This podcast was produced in association with FunEmploymentRadio.com. Good morning, afternoon, and night, nerds, geeks, and gamers. I am Jason Chevron Chops, and boy, oh boy, I am back from the dead. Kind of. Mostly. It's been a while since I got behind the mic, but I swear to God, I am 90% ready for this. I've been kind of a mess for weeks now, but that also means I have tons of content. Oh boy! I've got a bunch of details from Pig Squad's annual town hall, a review of the Mario Kart 64 tournament at Ground Control from a few weeks back, a bunch of stories from games I've been playing lately, and a conversation with Andrew Hare, a local software developer who's worked in the game industry for 10 years and brings great insight into the ups and downs of working on large-scale game development. Also, in the next couple of weeks, look forward to more new interviews. I've got developers and musicians and more on deck and more coming soon as well, so do look forward to that. Now, here's how you, the listener, factor into all this. Besides listening, of course. First, this isn't the only podcast I'm part of. We recently launched the Annex Podcast, a fictional dramatic audio series set in early 1900s Oregon. It's a dark serial full of murder, suspense, intrigue, and more. I play Nathaniel Galmont, son of the once-revered, now-feared Reverend. Check out the first couple of episodes now at annex.libsyn.com. Or subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app of choice as per usual. New episodes are set to release, I think, weekly on that one. I am also co-host on the Adventure Club podcast with Mr. Matt Neslanik, frequent guest of this podcast, and John Galbo, two East Coaster internet buddies of mine. We've got interviews with funny people, actors, and of course, our blithering idiocy that should warm even the coldest comedy hearts. That fine show can be found on iTunes and similar services as well. Finally, do not neglect to follow this show and the others on Facebook and Twitter. Please review the shows on iTunes and the others and share, share, share! Oh, well, who wants to live forever? (laughs) This is the Well-Adjusted Gamer Podcast. up today, I've got loads of updates from the Portland Indie Game Squad in regard to how their year went. This was uh, a couple Mondays ago, Pig Squad held their annual town hall meeting at the Lucky Labrador in Northwest Portland. They started off with some cold hard numbers like, it's been seven years since they founded the organization. There's up to 2,128 members in their Facebook group as of now, 728 in their Slack group, 190 patrons generating around $1,500 a month, their attendance is up 20%, and in total, over 50 games have been made in association with the group. They raised $50,000 this year, with about half of that coming from sponsors and another third from patrons. All of this means 
They've also had some great sponsor partnerships develop, and there's more to come. Events from 2017 included Pico 8 workshops. Pico 8 is a simplified game design tool that streamlines a lot of the processes behind making simple, fun, pixel-based games. They've also had VR workshops. They've got partnerships now with um, Washington State University, Vancouver, Intel, Portland State University, and Design Week Portland. The Global Game Jam 2017 was also a major event, drawing over 100 registered attendees. It actually sold out in 10 hours. A total of 35 games were born through the event, and now the 2018 event sold out in less than one hour. They also held their Drink and Draw event, which drew over 500 people. The Drink and Draw includes drinks and drawing contests, as well as around 20 games to try out and VR stations to experience. Then there was the Summer Slow Jam event that also had a great turnout, generating 47 games revolving around three different themes. This year was gadgets, performance, and VR and augmented reality. The Portland Retro Gaming Expo was also a major event for Pig Squad. They had 35 games from local de developers rotating on the demo stations throughout the weekend. They also held a horror game marathon, a game making workshop, and had a VR lounge. Streaming has become another big part of their portfolio and includes playthroughs of indie games as well as development angled tasks and more. As far as planning for 2018, they are looking at having at least three events per month. They want to mix the casual and professional environments a little more because some people, I don't know, you always have some people that feel a little alienated that, you know, it's too casual with some events or too strictly professional for others. So trying to blend those a little bit more, but also have strictly isolated events too for people that, I mean, thrive in those kind of environments. They also want to move into larger and more varied venues, hold more workshops, and they're working on broader ways for folks to actually access the game jams as opposed to coming in and developing a game on your own if that's not kind of your thing. I mean, if you're good at other little aspects of it, it should be a little bit more open and easy to dive in and meet people that you want to work with potentially. You can find out more about Pig Squad and all of the great indie game scene support they get up to at pigsquad.com. Moving on from there a few weeks ago as well, there was the Ground Control Mario Kart 64 21st Anniversary Tournament. Got down there, over 25 people signed up, and by the end, players had completed over 50 head-to-head -head races. The competition ranged from terrible noobs, like me, to seasoned trolls, as well as folks who were just playing good at it. My first attempt was complete shit, and I lost by almost a full lap. But then I somehow squeaked out a W in my first loser's bracket race. After that, a couple more beers and a lot of waiting, I finally lost my last race, probably 10 plus spots outside of the podium. Not very impressive. It was still a ton of fun overall, and Shannon, I think was her name, from Ground Control did a great job keeping things running. They also had a really cool app that they're using called Bracalope for keeping track of all the entrants and rounds. It worked fantastic. Now, as for games that I've been playing over the last few weeks here, Battlefront 2, the game you may have heard me talk about from time to time. I have clocked over 100 hours at this point in Battlefront 2, and it's definitely gotten to that point where, I don't know, I feel like I've played it enough, in a way. There isn't, they haven't really talked about any new DLC, there's nothing, like, big update-wise coming, They're, they've really been tight-lipped about anything about the game, so, I don't know. 
we're kind of, me and my buddies are kind of burnt out on it at this point. Um, it was definitely an awesome experience, well worth the price of admission. And I mean, shit, that's a game we all bought at full launch price. That's not something we picked up on a sale. Something we have picked up on a sale, though, is a game I kind of, it's been in my my kind of consciousness, I don't know what you call it, like I was aware of it, but never really like too interested in it. Ghost Recon Wildlands. So the Tom Clancy series of games have been around, they've been in every genre it seems now at this point. It's a big long-standing Ubisoft series, a lot of like, I don't know, it's stuff that was born from the, the Splinter Cell stuff, but then Ghost Recon has been a series for a long time. Kind of a strategic war game, um, where it's not like Call of Duty or Battlefield where you're just running and gunning and going crazy. You actually have to use stealth and tactics to be able to be successful in these games. Wildlands takes that another step further into a full open world, what is it? Um, Bolivia, like a recreation of Bolivia, the country that has been taken over by Mexican drug cartels. The world itself is amazing. It is so, I don't know, like deeply, thickly detailed, <laughs> densely detailed, better, better word. But also when you get into like a helicopter or a plane and get up above everything, you just can see for miles. And this is on PC. This is with my recent PC build, the 1050 Ti, and it runs great. I think I'm going, it's not running anywhere near like ultra settings, but I think I'm like medium high and everything just works. I mean, it looks great. There's a little bit of like, um, it's not lag, but like loading in every now and then that'll, it'll, it'll kind of like hiccup for a second. And it's just an amazing setup because you've got this massive open world with all kinds of stuff to do, stuff to find, gun upgrades and, and guns to find and unlock. There's missions to track down all the heads of the cartels. There's different kind of like side quests you can go out and do as per usual. I mean, everything you'd expect from an open world kind of game in this day and age, but with the, the tactical bent of the ghost recon series, and there's like an, a whole upgrade suite for your characters. You can customize your loadouts, your appearance, so you can get really good camo that fits like the mission you're going into, but it's also got amazing team co-op because you can have up to four people total in your squad. So you and three buddies, whatever. On the single player side, they're all AI controlled and you can kind of tell them where to go and they, they do stuff, whatever. It's it's okay. But man, when you jump onto the multiplayer side and you get your buddies together and you actually put together a squad that can do stuff, if you don't have a troll like we do that loves to... Okay, here's a scenario. We come into a facility, me and Max who's been on the podcast before, we start strategizing. We throw our drones, which you can do up in, in here, throw your drones up into the air, kind of scope around, see where the enemies are, come up with a strategy and approach of how you're going to get through, flank these guys, go over here, get those guys, etc. In the middle of that, there's an explosion on the far side of the compound and all the enemies go on alert. What the hell's going on? Well, it's our buddy Garrett. <laughs> He's gone. He's gone completely rogue. He's doing his own goddamn thing over there, blowing shit up, sometimes unintentionally. Most of the time, I think not. But it adds it adds a whole new layer because it's almost like we have a mole on our team. We've got a traitor amongst us. 
So there's been lots of team kills. There's been many ruined missions because of this, but it does add an, like a really fun layer to everything. It's as long as it doesn't get too excessive, I'd say. <laughs> but outside of that, I mean, it is, like I said, it's great team co-op. It's a beautiful world. The story is just fine. It's whatever. I mean, the missions are pretty well varied. It's a little repetitive just in the fact that, I mean, it's it's a strategic shooter. So every mission comes down to sneak into the base, kill who you need to kill, get the objective, get out. I mean, that's, that's it. Every mission is going to be like that. But each and every one is laid out differently. There's lots of things that go into it that make it interesting and break up the, the repetition. Beyond that, a lot of the reviews we read going into it, I mean, on Steam, it's like grossly popular and very highly, um, highly well-received, whatever you want to call it. Like it, the reviews are 99% positive or I don't know, something like that. But the things that did pop up as kind of concerns were that the, the AI is kind of crappy. It, it is pretty basic. I mean, you get into a base, you alert one guy, everybody comes at you. Everybody has like laser accuracy. They just know where you are. Even like in that situation where, like I said, Garrett was blowing something up on the other side of the map. Everybody still zeroes in on me and Max, even though we were nowhere near that, they just automatically know exactly where you are. So a little, little shitty on the AI side. Also the vehicle physics came up a lot, which those have not been a factor for us. Like it's kind of junky going off road and you can't do anything real fun with the vehicles. It's not Grand Theft Auto. You're not going to be looking for stunt jumps and all that kind of stuff. But when you're on road, they feel fine. Like even driving with keyboard and stuff, it's, it's tolerable. So it's nothing, nothing game breaking. But overall, amazing game. We got it on the tail end of all the holiday Steam sales for like 30 bucks. And man, never looked back. It's, it's great. It's been a ton of fun. I've also been playing the new... What is it? Wolfenstein, the new order, I think it's, or Wolfenstein 2, whatever you want to call it. It's the new edition, new entry in the Wolfenstein series. I'm playing it on PS4 through Gamefly. And overall, it's, it's a great, great package, great production. The graphics and design, the deep and dark story are great. I mean, they're very well written. Again, the graphics are amazing. They challenge anything I could run on my PC at this point because they're, they're just super optimized and nice, but it's still just not my thing. It's like a, it's that run and gun thing, but also this one has like a real split personality where you go from kind of like hackneyed stealth to murder, death, kill to a 10 minute cutscene about racial issues, then five minutes more of murder. And then run around a boring, densely detailed submarine with just, like, nothing to do. It's it's weird. So it's a lot of, like, hurry up and wait. It's a lot of quickly run and gun, like, stuff's blowing up and shooting at you from everywhere to a 10-minute cutscene. Like, almost... Oh, God. A lot like Metal Gear. Oh. But, um, at least with Metal Gear, it's got, like, better pacing to the combat and you're in control, more or less, of the experience. With Wolfenstein, it's it's not a one-trick pony, but it's, it's definitely, I don't know, it's like it's striving to be something that it can't, or it doesn't, doesn't want to go too far in any one direction. It's trying to do too much, that type of thing. But I know it's just kind of not my thing. There's other 
millions of other people out there that will enjoy the hell out of it and have. I mean, it's a highly reviewed game. Like I said, the story is crazy. It's very well written, well acted, all that kind of stuff. So production is super high. If you're into, I don't know, it's not really super twitchy, but it is kind of. It's like, I mean, it's, it's Wolfenstein. You should know at this point. Speaking of Metal Gear, however, I found some crazy deal um, on the PlayStation Store that is no longer available, so don't go looking, but it must have been on the tail end of one of the holiday sales. I just randomly fired up the Vita. I was looking for something new. I deleted a few games and wanted to get a couple new ones to fart around with and came across Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3. They were... Priced at like five something a piece, but with the PlayStation Plus discount, they were only $374 each. And these are the HD remakes from oh, PS3, I think. And God, the the <laughs> the dollars to content and quality of that. $374. $3.74 for Metal Gear Solid 2. And that was each, not for the two of them. What was weird about that price, though, was looking at it, I jumped over to the bundle of the two games to see maybe, I mean, I could save another dollar or something on it, but it was still like $20. So the the math was pretty retarded on it, but like I said, ended up getting two and three for seven, eight bucks, whatever. And man, fired up two, been playing it for, I think like three to six hours. And I mean, God such great production value it is like just as i never realized how imbalanced all of the metal gears were like four is the one that really stands out for the imbalance of actual gameplay to cutscenes. in four you literally play especially if you know what you're doing you could go like one minute two minutes five minutes at the most of gameplay and then 20 minutes of cutscene. It's, I, I thought that was an isolated thing for Metal Gear Solid 4, but now going back to 2, I see, oh no, no, that's, that was the standard. So it's a little frustrating. And what I've done is because it is a really challenging game and I don't remember anything from my, my playthrough originally, cause I have not replayed it since it launched like back on the PS2. So going back through now, <clears throat> I want to try to get a decent rating at the end of the game, so I'm not doing any continues. Every time I die, I let the game, I exit out, I go back through the main menu, load in. But what I do is I'll play 10 to 15, 20 minutes ahead into the game and like hit a wall somewhere where I end up dying. I'll continue a couple of times, figure out what I need to do, figure out my route, where I need to go, where I need to be, who I need to shoot, who I need to not shoot, that type of thing. Go that 20, 30 minutes of gameplay, quit back out, reload an old save, and then do it all in like five minutes. That way, at the end of the game, my rating's gonna be better, there won't be any continues, all that kind of stuff. So doing that, and God, it is just, it's really hard, but I swear it's its better than I remember too, because comparing it, I don't know, I don't really have anything recent to compare it to that's fresh in my mind. I've been, I've been playing so many damn racing games that it's been a while since I played an action stealth game. I think probably Phantom Pain, Metal Gear Solid 5 was the last one that I actually played in this specific vein. So it's, I don't know, it's exciting to get back into it. It's nice. 
So again, so far, so great. I'm gonna play them in order. I'm gonna finish two before I jump into three because I, God, I'm really looking forward to Snake Eater. Like I really want to see that one again because that, that was like the pinnacle of the series before four and five came out. Every single game entry in the series is like the new pinnacle. It's great. Um, as far as future games that I want to play, Far Cry 5 is still on my radar, but that's not until March. Um, some of the games I want to rent when they do come out, I I don't know, I've got some VR stuff that I still want to try, because I ended up keeping my PSVR. It's, it's worthless now at this point. I mean, I couldn't get more than like $150 for it, so I'm just going to sit on it and take the hit, but then also have access to VR, because I saw also that the... Um, the Rick and Morty VR experience was coming to PS4 at some point, so I will get that. But then for rentals down the road, we've got Spider-Man coming out in June. Um, Shadow of the Colossus, the remake, I will rent that to check it out because I'm a huge fan of the original on PS2. I recently started up on the, the PS3 remaster because I have a 3D TV. I wanted to see that. That was pretty impressive. But now... The PS4 remake, I mean, that's going to be the pinnacle of the visuals, and I'm excited for it to be launching because that's literally going to hit a new generation of gamers. Like, there's going to be a ton of people that never played the game because it was just too late, or they missed it, or whatever. Not sure what the price point's going to be on it. It should be like a $30 to $40 game. I don't think they'd charge $60 for it because that's kind of dumb for a game that old. But we'll see. Dumber things have happened this year, no? Well, last year. It is 2018 now. Um, things I'm not looking forward to, Monster Hunter World, I, I don't know, I'll have to see what happens with that, I've played, the last one I played was on PSP, and I just, it's not my bag, like, it's such a pain in the ass game, <laughs> it's, they're really well made, but they're just, like, really rigid in their gameplay, and I just never got, like, the vibe of it, um, so I don't know, I'll, I'll try to rent it and see if it if it tickles or scratches any itch but the other one that no one is looking forward to metal gear survive just a a weird shameless cash in from konami trying to just i don't know trying to squeeze the last little bit that they can out of the assets that they paid probably millions of dollars to develop um for metal gear the phantom pain so it's going to be kind of like a a weird twist on like the zombie scenario where there's these crystalline things that come and attack and I don't know. It's supposed to be like focused on online multiplayer, I think, squad-based stuff, but it's just so gross to know that it exists because I mean, it's great that there's probably a whole couple of teams, few teams of people that have been working on this game and it's awesome that they were able to maintain employment with Konami somehow, some way, because all Konami wants to make at this point are pachinko and, I don't know, slot machines and just gambling stuff, because the investment and return on those is just so much better for them as a corporation. I mean, I think I talked about that with Andrew, too, later in that interview, but um, it just, it really stabs everybody that's a fan of Konami, the way they used to be, Kojima, and Metal Gear, to know that we're stuck with this bastardized little 
I don't know, weird, just unwanted thing and not the rest of Metal Gear Solid 5 because there's still two more scenarios from that game that just never saw the light of day. The ending of the, the current retail release is just this hack job of, I'll just slam some shit together that we're going to reveal later and ship it because Konami is firing everybody. Kojima's out. The development team is out. Everybody just pack your shit. We're not doing this anymore. We're making pachinko. Here's your last check. Like, just a, a really depressing scenario. So no one in the world is looking forward to that game. And it's really unfortunate. Like I said, it sucks for the team teams involved in developing it because it's not their fault. They're probably going to catch a ton of shit. People are always going to talk crap to them about this and ugh, just gross. But thanks, Konami. And no thanks. Now, with all that out of the way... Uh, the only other thing that I had, I did have to buy a uh, one terabyte hard drive for my PC, my gaming PC. I got it for like $48. It's a Western Digital Blue. And I'm just using that because, God, the 250 gig SSD that I bought, I've got <clears throat> Battlefront 2, Forza Horizon 3, and basically I can have one more game because both of those first two are, <clears throat> are like 90 gigabytes and ghost recon my god i don't even know how big that one was but that was it that's that's my whole hard drive because i've got windows on there too so between windows and three games like that's all i could have <sighs> like after a while that, that gets old so i got the one terabyte i threw like the four or five other games that i've been going back to over the last few weeks on there and that'll be probably it for a while now that was one of the only things that was kind of a question mark on the build when I did it. Um, I mean, besides down the road, getting more RAM and upgrading my video card, if God forbid the prices ever go down on those. But that's kind of it for what I had tonight. Um, again, look forward to the interview with Andrew. That went very well. He's a very cool guy and he will be back on again soon because we have lots of current video game stuff to talk about but enjoy that and i will shut up for a couple seconds and resume talking thanks for listening welcome back everybody today on the show i've got with me mr andrew hair long time and sometime game dev with 10 years experience making games so far he's also lived in colorado arizona san francisco now portland so how are we today sir I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Absolutely. Yes. Andrew has um, a much, I think, healthier and more realistic viewpoint and perspective on game development and very interested to talk to him, pick his brain and get some of the, the true stories of game development because we all know what the, the rosy golden future of game development sounds like, looks like, can be. But there's also a cold, hard reality to it sometimes. And that's something that everybody needs to kind of see both sides of. And definitely looking forward to your perspective on it, sir. Great. great. Yeah, awesome. Happy to, happy to share. <laughs> so first off, we'll start with kind of the the good time basics of what got you into gaming in the first place. What, what kind of stuff interests you? What motivates you? Mm -hmm. All those kind of things. So I like to start kind of like with childhood. First console memories, favorite games growing up, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, the I got an NES. Was that was my first console? Mm -hmm. 
uh, that kind of started everything. I'd play with my dad. We beat Super Mario 3 together. Oh, man. And it was great. So every, he would take us to the video store. Like, this is when Blockbuster still existed. Mm-hmm. Every Friday, we'd get to pick out a game. Like, my brother and I would get to pick out either a game or a movie, and I would always pick games and then try and yeah. beat it in the three days that I had on the <laughs> right. weekend. So then I would say I had a Genesis. Awesome. And my 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 mom got us a Genesis for Christmas, mm-hmm. and uh, she didn't. She doesn't really know anything about vi- video games, so right. she brought it home. And Christmas morning, we opened this present, and I got Mortal Kombat. Oh my god! And I <laughs> that's exactly mom, where I went in my mind. Yeah. And so <laughs> she walks in after cooking brec- breakfast on Christmas Day oh and sees me rip out someone's spine, uh-huh. and she was like, "Oh my god, what did I do?" <laughs> but you can't take it away now because no. it's Christmas. You're not yep. going to take that toy away no. from me on Christmas. So, oh my uh, God. so I had a Genesis, and then I eventually went on to the N64 and PlayStation, yeah. PlayStation Two. Um, and you ask kind of how I got into games and mm-hmm. what made me want to get into games, and I remember that moment so vividly. I was playing Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation, yeah, and. I was in middle school at the time, and I remember just thinking, holy crap, this is like playing a movie. Yeah, And absolutely. I've never experienced something like this no. before. And it was, you know, it, it's a little anime-ish. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah, that, totally. That story, it's Very just kind of top. off, off yeah, the walls, right. and I, I dig it, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. I dig it. It is my kind of weird. <laughs> right. So, like, Kojima is my kind of weird. Yep. And I just remember thinking, I want to, as I got older, I kind of went through that process of like what what made me feel the way I was feeling Mm -hmm. and I got to a point where oh I want to make games and I want to make people feel that way and whether it's you know escapism and they just want to not do with their life for a couple hours and Mm -hmm. play a game that I made or um, whatever it is and so that was kind of my goal to to be able to do that when I was making games and when I was in high school I said okay what's the what's the not the best avenue, I, the most intelligent avenue for me to get into game dev. And there were schools like Full Sail mm-hmm. or those like smaller tech schools yeah. where, um, you know, design video, be a game designer, come mm-hmm. in for two years. And, you know, I didn't think that was for me. And so I ended up getting into a computer science class in high school okay. and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And that was my major in college. And um, my junior year, I was so grateful to meet um, a team from Rainbow Studios in Arizona. Yeah. So Rainbow Studios, they did all the MX versus ATV games. Oh my god. Um, they made the game car like cars, you know, the yeah. Pixar cars. Yep. That sold really well. And um, they came to uh, my college and they were looking for a full-time engineer. And I was a junior. And so we I got to meet part of the team, the engineering team, and we got along really well. And two weeks later, I get a call back from the HR person. She said, hey, uh, we're really looking for a scene, you know, uh, um, a full-time engineer. Mm. Would you be able to come in and, and <laughs> do this? And I said, I, this is my dream, but I can't do it because if I drop if I drop out of college with one year to go, my parents will murder me. Yes. And... And so they they said we we understand we mm-hmm. totally understand. Two weeks later, I get a call back, and she says, "Well, we're thinking about opening a position for you that's part time. Oh. If you came in two or three days a week." And I said, <laughs> "Yes, I will be ass. right there. I will be right there." And right. so, 
Um, I got in with Rainbow Studios, and for my junior year and senior year, I would work um, probably like three or four days a week. Oh, man. And then after I graduated, they gave me a full-time position, and that was kind of like once you get your foot in the door, it's really easy. Not, it's not easy. It's not yeah. easy. You but still have to prove yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, it's that first step of getting yourself in the door as a game dev. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful. I'm so lucky that I met oh, yeah. those guys. Um when I did and we're all still friends mm -hmm. every time I go back to Arizona I'll go grab a beer with them awesome. and like we'll hang out yeah. and so it's just a really tight knit mm -hmm. group of um, of people down there that's great yeah that's that's definitely a, a common theme is as these studios kind of rise and fall and come and go I mean the people still stick together like the the teams get split up but they usually Recoagulate somewhere else and get back together or keep in touch. And I mean, eventually you never know. Something else will come up with those people that they'll get in on a project and need help with something and then they'll think of you and vice versa, you know? So, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely something to think to, to focus on and think about when you're getting into this stuff. I mean, it, it takes the right kind of person because that's what makes the career work is personalities and friendships mm -hmm. and those those kind of relationships so yeah that's that's huge it's crazy that you mentioned rainbow studios like i went digging through a bunch of my old video game stuff last night looking for memory cards and stuff because i'm loaning out a ps2 and i have an old ad from rainbow studios for mx versus atv i can't remember which one it might have been the first one but it came in the mail one day with a demo disc and it was a damn like cereal box like a simulated cereal box and it was like a bowl of dirt and rocks with the with the dirt bike flying through it and it's it still cracks me up to this day and I'm so glad I kept it because it's like one of the most original ad things I've ever seen mm -hmm. like it's got this full list of ingredients and crap like <laughs> it's so overkill <laughs> I wish I would have grabbed a couple pics for it so I could show you because just made me think of that but man we had like a very similar like coming up through video games because i i had the exact same thing i was born into kind of an nes household with atari too but <clears throat> then didn't get the super nintendo got a sega instead and man it was still epic to play all the greats on that one where i did the same thing we had a a chain store called mr video where same thing go in there my mom would get a movie i'd get an nes game or whatever and then later on with God, the warehouse music stores used to rent video games too, and then yeah, Blockbuster, like yeah, same thing. But I also went that extra step and rented my my mom. Thankfully, like graciously, rented me the consoles, so I got to rent a Nintendo sixty four and play GoldenEye and Shadows of the Empire and stuff like that. And then all the like, I got a Sega Saturn at one point too. I remember playing Virtual Boy. But without ever having to buy them and figure out, like, oh, God, these are actually kind of crappy. So <laughs> it, was, it was neat to have that experience. But then, yeah, same kind of thing. But, man, the the wherewithal and the, the kind of sense of direction to have as a high school kid to know what you wanted to do, I, I don't – I can't relate. Like, that's the one thing that I did not have at that point and still. So, how, like, I don't know. It's – I think that's definitely something you're you're just born with to have that kind of drive at that point. I that has been something that I didn't realize that not everybody else had ah. growing up. It was mm -hmm. uh, I remember um, my sophomore year of high school, and they do that thing in, in English class where like, <laughs> what do you want to be when yeah. you grew up? And it's mm -hmm. it's as a sophomore in high school, you don't 
you probably have no clue. No. And there were a lot of answers. You know, somebody wanted to be a tattoo artist and, you know, all right, go for yeah. it, man. Like, do what, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But I remember getting up there and be like, I want to make video games. And I, Mr. Hall, my sophomore English teacher, gave me the confidence to stand up and say, like, I'm a nerd and <laughs> I want to make video games. Right. And everybody else's answer was so, uh, not everybody, but the majority of answers were so uh, like quote unquote normal. Like they yeah. wanted just to fit in, right? Fireman, in high school, policeman, you, yeah, uh, like, office I want to make music. And right. like, all right, cool. Yeah. And I was like, ah, hey, um, I like Metal Gear Solid a lot. <laughs> and uh, I watched Dragon Ball Z. So mm-hmm. I want to make video games. Oh, man. And I just remember being so nervous to stand in front of that class and actually tell people what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And because before that, it was in middle school, I remember during lunch, I would go into one of my math teacher's classroom and we would play Pokemon, like me and some oh friends. Oh, my God, yeah. And, but we That's didn't awesome. do that out in the open. It was yeah, just, no. the, it, it, it was so, it was like, I was I was scared. I was a kid. Was I a, didn't know. It was a closeted thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and now it's so great to see kids walking down the street with, like, Minecraft. Like, yes. these kids are growing up with Minecraft, and video games are going to be a part of their lives forever. Yeah. And people are celebrating things like celebrating Minecraft. Or, I mean, we're already past the, the level of shame or, like, right. kind of, like you said, the the oh, the... There's no like inclusion. There's like you're isolated, and now no, we mm. we already skipped over any kind of like stages. Like we went to full on. It's everything. It's all the time. Like yeah, so, and, and God, I don't even know. Not even in a generation. So yeah, these kids. Well, and I know there's still uh, people who aren't confident in in what they like, and yeah, especially as it growing up, like that happens with tons of things. I'm mm-hmm. sure, um, but that was my experience when I was growing up. And yeah. When, when I I knew what I wanted to do, and all throughout college, my peers were like, oh, "I don't know what I want to do yet," and I was like, yeah. "Oh, I want to make video games." Yeah. And if that doesn't work, at least I have this computer science stuff to fall back on. Yep. And even even now, like I I'm you know in my 30s, and people I have friends that are like, "I don't I still don't know what I want to do." Totally. And that's okay, but. You know, that's not me, and right. I'm I'm the outlier <laughs> here. Like I've always known what I wanted to do. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because that's <clears throat> I know for myself. I've I've definitely like settled in on what I want to do, but it's definitely taken time because I took the approach of getting out of high school. I just had too many things that I wanted to do. I think was more of it. Like I I had always dabbled in art and was like playing around with the idea of getting in a, a band going with some buddies and just like I remember being 19, 18, 19 and just thinking like man, this sucks because none of this stuff is going anywhere and I don't know what I want to do and if this is like, if this is how life is, like I don't want to live too much longer. This is bullshit. Like, but just got into like the family business. My dad had a pool route and I did that for a couple summers and then got a job at the warehouse where we bought stuff and that was it. Like I just did warehousing and logistics for the rest of my life basically since then but those jobs were lucrative enough that they allowed me like once i started working at that pool place within like a couple years i had my own apartment i had three t two tvs and a computer in my living room so i had a, a pc running and then an xbox on one tv and the pc on the the other tv like everything just all the time and everybody always over always playing games and it's like so there was a, a kind of 
rhyme to the reason of of that. Like, yeah, it sucks to just have a day job, but at the same time, it allows you to do all this other sideline stuff if it's if it's a good enough paying job. And that's what's enabled me to like build up my studio equipment and start doing voice acting on the side and everything is yeah, it's almost like the phase of going to college and learning. It's like you go through that same kind of question mark period where is this going to turn into something? What am I going to do with my life? And yeah, I, I don't know. It, it kind of shows too that there's there's always different routes to everything. And I'm not saying that I'm like a big success in any of it, but it's like the stuff's out there. You can do it. There's more than one way to get to it, even if you don't know what you want to do starting out explicitly. So yeah, it's it's good. Like I said, getting good perspectives on a lot of this stuff, just well, like I wanted. What you just said was it's that work to live, live to work. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are in both either of those camps. Right. And I would prefer for myself to have more of a balance and yeah. why, you know, a blend of the I don't want to, I don't want to live to work and I don't mm-hmm. necessarily want to work to live. Like right. I think there can be a balance and yeah. no, definitely. I think for me that that's what I'm going for here. Yeah. No, that's that again, it's, that's the question mark, but that is, that's where you want to be. You want to be somewhere in between the two areas. It's that Venn diagram. So yeah, you've got the extremes of, like you said, work to live or live to work, but no, we want to be in the middle. We want a, a nice mix of the two where you can actually feel happy. And that's that's where I'm at right now. Like right now, everything's just peaches and roses and that, whatever you want to call it, because I'm working part-time and then I can do all of my other stuff without feeling exhausted or overstretched or any of that. Because before it was like 10 to 12 hour days, there is no time to do all these other things. And when they're not going well, you don't want to do them at all. Whereas now, if if something doesn't go perfect, it just rolls off. And it's incredible. Like, it's just a completely different mindset. Like, a ugh, whole new world. I just want to sing about it sometimes. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> but it, it is. It's crazy. Um, so from there, I, I got a hard cut back to something else that we talked yeah, about yeah. earlier. But um, <clears throat> as a, a fanatic... I would assume of all the different, like you said, anime and video game series and everything that you started developing this interest in costumes and not cosplay exclusively, but dressing up for Halloween, making really elaborate in-depth costumes. And that's something that I've got a couple friends that do. And I mean, it's a huge thing, like cosplay and especially dressing up for all the conventions and stuff. I don't know if that's something you've done before, but... no, I. Conventions, not so much, mm-hmm. but um, and this really didn't start until I think I moved to San Francisco. So I moved mm-hmm. to San Francisco from Boston uh, for a game job, my last job at uh, mm-hmm. Gazillion, and my my core group of friends love costume pub crawls, and so we probably did three or four a year, and plus and then plus Halloween, mm-hmm. and so. For some reason, I just got really into it, and I would make these really elaborate costumes. So um, I worked for Gazillion, and we were working on Marvel Heroes, so Ah. uh, we would have costume contests at work. (laughs) And so all like the majority of my costumes for Halloween were always Marvel costumes, Mm -hmm. because I could potentially win this prize. Right, yeah. Wolverine, uh, Winter Soldier. (laughs) I have three different Thor costumes at home, Um, (laughs) two helmets and two hammers, you know. Uh, so if you ever want to borrow yeah, one, let yeah. me know. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just really like getting in, dressing up, mm-hmm. and, and um, kind of just 
giving it 110% yeah. with those costumes. Hell and yeah. so hopefully when I was thinking about doing a pub crawl in Portland soon for like a birthday or something, yeah. just for, for no reason at all, right. and like give it a theme and uh-huh. like, let's just go, like Hell get yeah. my friends together and oh, man. we'll have a good time. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. That would be great. I mean, just like, yeah. It's the Avengers doing a pub crawl. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And people love it, too. Like, oh, you yeah. see the Avengers walking down the street, you're going to probably say, hey, or at least smile. Yeah, right. No, that's going to be crazy. That uh, I don't even know what I would do if I saw that. <laughs> I would just... I. First question is, what the hell is going on? Like, what did I miss? But yeah. at the same time, like, you start seeing that, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of buddies, and they're just having fun. Like, yeah. And perfect town to do it in, too. That's, that's something where it would not be questioned. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, just that'd probably be the, the disappointing thing is you do it here and people just be like, yeah, people dressed up as superheroes going to pub. Yeah, <laughs> it's another day. It's a That's a Tuesday in Portland. But <laughs> Tuesday in Portland. <laughs> oh, God. So from that jag, this so awkward sometimes doing this, but going back into the development st- um, stuff. So... Rainbow Studios was the the first kind of jumping off point for you. How did that kind of wrap up and transition into the next kind of steps and where we ended up today? Like, how did that experience kind of shape you, mold you, like all those kind of things? Like, just, I don't know, run through the timeline of it. Yeah, so uh, Rainbow was great, amazing. I Mm -hmm. had the best set of mentors to... um, And and their co-workers, they ended up being peers. Yeah. But to show me the ropes of the game industry and they taught me so so much gotcha and after i decided to leave rainbow studios to move to boston Mm -hmm. and i got a a job in with this company called imagine engine Mm -hmm. and they did smaller family kids games okay and that position allowed me to get a little more ownership of games so we did a lot of small titles but i got to get gain a ton of experience Mm -hmm. and lead a lead a team and and that kind of thing and it was only a few engineers but it was um it was great and i got to work with one of my best friends and it was just so much fun at times and times it was god awful yeah but that was how that studio went and Mm -hmm. i wouldn't trade it for anything i learned a lot great life experience and mm-hmm. everything yeah and um going back to your point about like way earlier about um people you work with in before and kind of that relationship and and keeping that relationship over the course of you know your your life mm-hmm. so i was in boston i got a phone call from one of my good buddies out in san francisco and he said hey we just moved this, our studio from Colorado to San Francisco. Oh, man. And I'd work with these guys at Rainbow. So it was oh, like, okay. yeah. they were, they're my friends. And <laughs> yeah. they, he just said, do you want to come work for, oh, man. with us? And I, yes, I'll, yeah. I'll be there in two weeks, basically. <laughs> oh, my God. And I think it was it was like, it was three weeks because mm-hmm. he, he wanted me out there so I could ramp up on this project. Yeah. And so I went into Imagine Engine and I said, here are my two weeks, but I'd really appreciate it if I could just work one week to the end of the week because I want to take a vacation. I hadn't had a vacation in a long time. Yeah. So I ended up going to, um, I called, I called my uncle and he worked for Delta airlines. It's like, okay. Cause he can get me on a buddy pass real quick within yeah, a week. Right. He's, I was like, I want to go to Iceland. He said, okay. And oh from God. Boston to Iceland, it wasn't that far. It was maybe a four or five hour, mm-hmm. um, yeah, not, plane ride. Not, 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 bad. not bad. Mm-mm. So, during that week, they had this huge volcano explosion. Oh, yeah. And and it kind of shifted the flights from Europe to um, mm-hmm. America. And so I couldn't go to Iceland anymore. Okay. Oh, man. He's like, 
okay, <clears throat> you have to pick tomorrow where you want to go because you can just <laughs> go to the airport and you can pick between Costa Rica and St. Lucia. And oh, I ended oh up going God. to St. Lucia yeah. by myself for a week. <laughs> and um, just I went to the airport not knowing where I was going. I had a bag and I was like, all right, let's do this. I need oh a week God. before. I need a week to myself of vacation, decompression yeah. before right. I go start this new job and move mm-hmm. across the country again. Right. And... So I went to St. Lucia by myself, and have you ever seen the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Yes. Okay. So St. Lucia is primarily an island for, like, couples and honeymoons. <laughs> and so I get off the plane, and it, everybody's coupled up. Yes. And I had just gotten out of a pretty bad relationship. Oh, no. So I'm getting there, and I'm like, oh, this is actually my nightmare. <laughs> You're literally in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And, like. and so, and that was it, too, because I got, to, I finally, I booked my hotel on the plane. This was like right oh when Wi-Fi God. on planes was starting. Yeah, right. And I felt so cool. I was like, I just, yeah, booked, a, I just booked a hotel in the sky. Like, I'm, I'm Tony Stark. <laughs> right. And we land, and I get to the place, get to the hotel, and every time I went to dinner, it was like, oh, will your girlfriend or wife be joining? Oh, God. You? And I'm like, uh, nope, it's just me. Just me. Just me. <laughs> and it, it was like that moment from Freedom Star Marshall was like, oh, do you want a newspaper or a magazine or something? You're going to be really bored eating by yourself. And yeah. it was like that for a week. Oh, but it was good God. because I got to kind of sit with myself and, uh, like I said, decompress before I moved to yes. San Francisco. So I moved to San Francisco. I got to meet with um, work with all these great people that I'd worked with before. And yeah. I just loved to death. Oh, and man. we're still friends to this day. Yeah. And um, it was a – the gazillion wasn't founded by – it might have been founded by David Brevik. Mm-hmm. And he he was – at the time, he was the chief – man, this is so long ago – designer or chief uh, creative designer, something yeah. like that. Like, he was the he was the creative guy. Yeah. If you don't know who David Brevik is, he made Diablo oh. and Diablo 2. Oh. And I uh, love Dave over the course of – when we worked together, he was always so great to work with, and mm-hmm. uh, we drank a bunch of scotch together, and that was good. <laughs> and so, so the game I was working on when I got brought out to San Francisco was it was called Fortune Online. It was in beta. It was basically a flash version of Diablo. Oh, um, it didn't make it, oh, no. obviously. Yeah. Um, and the that team got shut down, mm-hmm. but at the same time, Gazillion was ramping up on Marvel Heroes, ah. and we we hadn't. It wasn't even Marvel Heroes yet. It was called Marvel Universe. Yeah. And, I vaguely remember that. And like, so and then we changed the name to Marvel Heroes later. Yeah. And it was um it gone it went through a bunch of different iterations. But what it ended up being was basically Diablo with Marvel characters. Yes. And um so we released that on PC and Mac first. Mm-hmm. And I I mean I'm a I comic book nerd, so this yeah. was my dream job. Right. I loved it so much. Oh, I man. I, it, no matter how shitty of a day work was, mm-hmm. I could go home and say, like, you know what? I got to work on Thor today. Yeah. Life's not that bad. Right? Like, it could be so much worse. Yes. So it just brought this, like, daily perspective mm-hmm. of, you know, when things get bad. Very healthy. Um, And so I worked on Marvel Heroes uh, for about – I was with Gazillion for six years. Oh, my God. And Which is a, a long time That's in the game industry. Stretch. It's yeah. a long time. <laughs> And so uh, we we did Marvel Heroes on the PC, and uh, then we released it on console mm-hmm. for PlayStation Four and Xbox yeah. um, in 2017. And it didn't stick, and there were some there were a lot of reasons why the company closed. Yeah. And, oh, um, yeah. Well, so, especially in San Francisco, we I mean that was the whole thing just recently with um, who was it from the their last one was Mass Effect. 
Andromeda. That's what was like the nail oh, in the coffin. EA. There, I mean, there, it was. They were an EA studio. I can't remember the the name of vis, the Visceral Close. Vis, yeah, they were in San Francisco. And and was it Visceral? Visceral definitely close. And then, yeah, Visceral did. I'm trying to think if that's the one I'm thinking of, but it's it's crazy down there because it's so expensive to keep a studio open, pay everybody the salaries that they need to be able to live there because everything is so damn expensive that you have one misstep, and that could be it. I mean, if your game doesn't sell just enough to, um, it, you're done. Yeah, you can make and lose your entire business in one release or not a release. Like that's, well, it's a crazy risk down it, there. But it was, like, it was a lot. It's understandable. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, we could have a whole another podcast on just the, the <laughs> state of Marvel heroes, but right? from from let's <laughs> like say May to. Um, you know, November. Oh, jeez. And it was very towards the end. There it was pretty toxic uh, with our player base and things oh, like no. that. And um, we basically found out that Marvel, like this, is kind of crazy too. Marvel had, um, uh, basically rescinded the license, and oh. the studio found out about it from a Kotaku article. Yeah, and like basically that's how after the fact, out. word of mouth, yeah. not directly from, yeah. So oh, it, it was, there are so many different crazy things that happen with that. And oh, it's, I mean, it's at the end of the day, games are a business. Yeah. And, and I, tr- I keep coming back to that because as mm-hmm. passionate as I was about Marvel Heroes and I loved it and I still do, it, it's a business. The yeah. games are a business. Yeah. Everything's a business. And uh, that's, the way the world works. Right. And it's sometimes that's unfortunate and t- sometimes that's great. And this is just one of those times where it didn't end up the way that a lot of people wanted it to. Right. Well, and going back to Kojima, perfect example of the business of the game industry with Konami just basically turning off the lights on everything and everybody because you're not making us enough money. We don't believe in you anymore. Our, basically, our board and our investors don't believe in you. So we're going to start making pachinko machines with all the licenses that we already own. And you're not going to get anything out of it because we're a business. Yep. <laughs> and that's where the money is. That's where, because it is for, especially like that's where things like EA happen is you've got, I mean, there's a, I feel like there's a pretty thick black line between an independent studio that can afford to just develop a game and release it with low risk and then making a full-fledged release or a triple-A title, and there is no in-between in that. Like, It's either you make a billion dollars or you make a few hundred thousand, and everybody's happy, and anything less than that is just disaster, and it's it's crazy. It, it's interesting you say that, I, and maybe you kind of remember the days, uh, let's, like, Genesis days, where mm-hmm. you would have your big, tr- like, quote-unquote, triple-A games of, like, Sonic or, yeah. you know... Uh, Super Mario or something mm-hmm. like that, but then you would have these like B tier games where they yes. weren't Bubsy, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh uh, boy, um, but they were like even into the PlayStation era. Oh yeah, you you would have these studios that would make um, not triple A games. It mm-hmm. was and you know it was like more of a B tier. They weren't. It's you know, their garbage attempt games. at a triple A game. Like yeah, they're they're trying to make big grand things and they have some good concepts and everything, but just not the budget perhaps or the the studio size to make it as grand as and as polished and everything. So yeah, and it, it so it's been interesting to see how that has changed. I feel like in the t- with with the PlayStation Two development and mm, uh, yeah. the three uh, was it. 
it was the original Xbox that came out right after that. Mm-hmm. The development costs costs sevi- like increased severely, yes. and this is where we had the shift from fifty dollars to sixty dollars yep. for you know a disc game, mm-hmm. and then you kind of had this aftermath of like when the PlayStation Three was coming out, where those B tier games were not showing up anymore. No, nope. and it was a lot harder to develop for that kind of budget, mm-hmm. and so then you had this big, that's when indies started becoming, you know, like starting growing and mobile games started coming out because they were, they're cheaper to make. Um, You can still make a game and put it out relatively easily, Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't have to spend $50 million or whatever it is on a game. And so, and now it's now with PS4 and um, Xbox One and even like Steam and just itch uh, IO and like all Uh these great, um, services that allow people to make games easily mm-hmm. things like unity and ub4 that's and, what like, i was going to say it's is so the tools great. that are out there now it's, i love it it's yeah. so great to have that tool set out there yeah. for a bunch of people to just say oh if i want if i really want to make this happen mm-hmm. i can just go do it myself i yeah. just have to find that drive right inside of me to like go make that and you're right it's it's kind of recreating that that b class again where you've got like a the one that comes to mind because I just played it recently was Road Redemption, where it's like a, a road rash knockoff or send up, and it's a, like a Steam Greenlight type of game. So it's it's technically an indie, it's a crowdfunded type of game, but it's come to basically a full release. I think they did their final release finally. I don't think it's early access anymore, but it's something like that that. Yeah, it's not a triple-A game. There's still, you see the cracks and stuff, but you get the fun experience. It's at a good price point. It's all those things that make it just worthwhile. And it's it's not like something like Undertale or, you know, a simple, or not simple, but simplistic retro style kind of indie game that you see so many of, but it is. It's 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 kind of reestablishing that, that pocket universe in between where with the tool sets, you can still do things make your your dream game under a budget and still be able with i mean in crowdfunding too to supplement it so yeah we are we're kind of in this perfect kind of area the sweet spot the goldilocks zone that hopefully maintains for a while because <laughs> we, we've seen how things are cyclical and there's there's generations of stuff that comes and goes like god when you started talking about the the ps2 and 3 i started thinking of the wii and all the shovelware that came with those where it, it, it was, it was basically like the cost of developing a mobile game for all these companies. So yeah, you get cook a mama 17 and <laughs> all kinds of weird pets games and just stuff you've never heard of or seen again. So, wow. It's, it's wild. Funny to see how things develop over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's never been a better time, I feel like, or an easier time to make a game Yeah. Um, if you want to. Like, mm-hmm. you, sit, you know, sitting on the couch over there or, like, the guy in the coffee shop who's making the game. Right. Uh, and, and guy or girl, right? Mm-hmm. And and it it's so exciting to see that stuff. Yes. And there's this global game jam that's happening mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. And I was at this indie, um, P- Pig Squad indie yep game developer thing last night mm-hmm. and I was just so excited to hear from different people. I probably met 15 different people who were like, I've never made a game before. Yeah. I've, I've played around. I've never made like a real game or mm-hmm. a, I've published a game. Mm-hmm. But they're so excited to 
to go to this indie um, like global game jam thing, yep. and I, I just have a big old smile on my face because oh, yeah. it's like, yes, like that is right? so awesome. <laughs> Seeing these pa- the passion in yes. somebody else is so so great. It's infectious. I love it. Yeah, it really, really is. Because it does. The, the more you hang out with those type of people, the more gas it puts in your tank to do the same and get that inspiration going again for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Because um, that's that's something I do want to try to fly through. I need to talk to those guys because I don't want to be a pest, but I do want to get in there, talk to some people in during the, the process of the, the game jam. Like, because it, it goes for a couple weeks, right? The global one does. I thought it was over like 48 hours. Is it just a 48 yeah. hour? Okay. So, yeah, definitely need to get in there. I would say, like, after the first 24, because that's when everybody's going to be tired mm-hmm. and really, like, stressed out, and but they'll actually have some kind of concepts and art stuff going because that's that's what it's when it's going to be interesting to see. But I'd also like to get that entry point, too, where they've just got some ideas that are rattling around in their head from just the year leading up to this and stuff they want to do and maybe some, like, early art or whatever. So, yeah, oh. I, it, it does. You get excited just thinking about it, talking about it. It's silly, but it's it's crazy. The energy, man. And Pig Squad does a lot of those. They they have their own game jams too now and then that they'll do. Like over the the summer, they did one with like a few different themes. Even of um, it was like, God, what was it? I can't remember the themes that they had, but they did three different events with three different themes of just like quickies. Just slap something together, make whatever you know, whatever you can when and show it off or don't and just work together, meet people, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's great. It's exciting. And full-fledged titles will come out of this. I mean, this is where these games are born more often than not now is through these game jams where you do get in, crank something out, anything, get your ideas out of your brain and on the page into the computer, make something happen and see where it goes. And it's either good because you got it out got it out of your system, figured out that that's eh, not such a great idea, it's kind of lame, whatever. Now you can move on to the next thing. Or you just gave birth to your favorite child and now you're going to run around and raise them for the next couple of years or whatever. So Yeah, and no matter what happens, you're, you'll you learn something. Right, you'll so learn something, you'll meet experience. people. It's Yeah, there's nothing nothing but good to gain from it. As long as you have the right perspective. Because, yeah, you could get in there and get really pissed off and burnt out on it. Yeah, But that's, it could be a positive in its own way. You're learning what not to do. It's like maybe you go in and think like, yeah, I'm going to learn how to code and I'm going to learn C plus and I'm going to develop a game and I'm going to write the the engine and and then figure out, no, this is a pain in the ass. I don't want to do this. Good. Great. Now you can figure out, okay, you still like video games. You still want to do them. Well, maybe you're more of a creative director type and need to meet some people and talk to some people about these ideas you have and get them on board with you and work together. That's yeah, it's, it kind of just writes itself. So it's, it's it's great. Yeah. And again, we're in a great place to have access to such things because it's, it's still kind of rare. Like, this isn't a big city. It's growing. But, I mean, outside of L.A. and San Francisco and other little hot spots, like, it's it's rare. So we're, we're definitely in a, a special place, and it's it's exciting. <laughs> but Absolutely. I, I do. I, I got to get in touch with those guys and see if I can swing through there because that'll be very interesting to see. Um, we've kind of talked about this generally, but what do you feel like your outlook is on the industry kind of current and future, the good and the bad? Cause like we've talked about, like with, with your history and career, there's like, you've got contract work and layoffs and turnover and the overtime that we've heard about, like crazy stuff that goes on, but how are we like, what's our health check right now? Like with all the different avenues and everything, what, how do you feel? Because you you still want to be in it, but 
You mean how do I feel about all make, of it? Yeah, being just, in the games industry, being or? in the games industry, where you think it's going, that kind of thing. Um, I, I mean, I don't know where it's going. It's uh, who knows. I think we're eventually going to get to a point where it, the the whole in the fall there was that kind of loot box. <laughs> I, I I don't know what you're talking about. <sighs> like, uh, what do you? uproar maybe yeah. I wanted to rip my skin off during that because it's I don't want to step on your point but my perspective on it and it's something that you mentioned briefly the 50 to 60 dollar price tag of games we have been paying 60 dollars for games since Super Mario Brothers 1 nothing has stayed the same price as long as video games not even food and food is heavily subsidized. Video games are a freaking unicorn, unrealistic kind of expectation at this point for a game like Battlefront 2, which caused all the rage with the loot boxes. How else are they supposed to make their money back? Well, it's... It's crazy. I don't know. But there, right. there, I promise there is a better way. Yes. And, and so the first game that kind of lit that little fire was mm-hmm. Shadow of War. Yeah. Uh, with their loot boxes and um, and this isn't just I've like never even a heard loot of that. box problem. This is a general like going back to it's the a method. cost of a game, right? Yeah. How are companies supposed to make more money off their product because that sixty dollar title isn't? That's not cutting it anymore. No, like they need to be like a hundred dollars for them to make the profits that they're used to. So we used to have season passes, right? Mm-hmm. And those dipped because. People weren't buying season passes no. anymore. So like, okay, I let's make some microtrans rarely. in a game. Yeah. How do we put, uh, you know, a microtransaction in a game and not have it be so, um, what is the word? I'm like... I think I, intrusive. I so, intrusive is probably a, a good word. And, and game-breaking, like, yeah. or unfair. Because that's, that's what came up with Battlefront, right, is you're, right. you're buying an advantage, basically, which... You weren't, but argument aside, like <laughs> that's that's where it came to is it's that pay to win is what everybody's really down on, mm-hmm. which I get. There's there's definitely a, a a good strong argument to that, but it's it's the company, the companies, the developers, where there's like that. Again, there's a it's a question mark area in between the developer, the studio, and the publisher. Because the publisher is the one that's driving all these monetary goals and setting the budgets and saying what you need to make and when. Developer doesn't really have a lot of say in that because they're not writing the checks at this point. If EA comes in and says, we got to do this, that, and the other thing to make money off of this game, that's it. That's the letter of the law. But So they're in a hard place. But also with that Battlefront example that you're using mm-hmm. they turn on a dime so quickly they yeah. like they ripped out the crystals they dropped the prices like yep. they did that so quickly because and it almost felt like what can we get away with mm-hmm. and then they they were able to turn so quickly and and lower those prices and not stick to their guns because there was such a, a backlash yes. that it almost made it seem like like from from that from my point of view, it was they were saying, "What can we get away with? What will people pay?" And and that was it. I and can see so, that. 
I, you know, I I played Battlefront 2. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, like it, I said, I, I mean, I've put 100 hours in it. Me and my buddies yeah. have. Like, yeah, it's it, it's still it's a great fun game. It's for what, exactly what it is. And I knew mm-hmm. exactly what it was going to be. Yes. And it's beautiful. And right? it's Star Wars. Like, yes. I don't care. <laughs> no. It's Star Wars. Just put a blaster in my hand. Yes. And let me hear that sound. Thank and you. Like, let me see, give me that, like, X-Wing st- yep. sound. when That you know, TIE the, Fighter scream. Uh, like, yes. Like, it, there's, Please. like, this big nostalgia Oh yeah. For and so so, I, I didn't end up using the loot box stuff and same no. with Shadow of War. Like I went through that game, yeah. whole game and didn't use loot boxes. No. And, and but I can I see both sides to the point. Totally. I see the the publisher, the developer, like the people who make the game mm-hmm. need to make money. How yeah. do we do this in a in and not such an intrusive way? Right. And then I see on the player side of oh this is. This is ridiculous. This mm-hmm. is too much money. I, you know, I already paid my sixty dollars. Right. I should get everything. Yes. And there's there's a better way somewhere in there where and somebody's going to figure it out. Right. To well, we're just in that shitty point where we're, and, we're and, doing the work for. And them. I'm sure there are some <laughs> games that have figured it out. Oh yeah. And but but it needs to be wider. Like that that solution needs to be more across. A bunch yeah. of different games, well, and everybody's so always interested in doing their own thing and doing it their way. And there's also the potential of getting sued for stealing somebody's idea, then too. So there's probably a lot to that. And we that had slows that, it down. We had that problem on Marvel Heroes where mm-hmm. uh, we would love to sell cosmetic stuff, yeah, but we can't because of because the license. Of the license. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you, uh, let's put a you know a hat on Iron Man's right? helmet, and like, nah, we can't. No, you can't do that. You can't yeah. do that. Marvel yeah. says no. Um, and I imagine that's and and I understand their point of view. They have to be very protective of their property, like just like Disney would be with Star Wars, just like Disney is with Marvel. Yes, they have right. to be, they have to be protective of their property. Yeah. And and I understand. It just leaves developers, especially licensed games, yeah. um, in that kind of pickle where they're like, "Okay, we got to sell something. I don't know how to, what we're gonna do." Right. Um, but there, I'm there are solutions out there. there I'm are, sure yeah. of it. Yeah, because even I mean, just <clears throat> the straightforward DLC, like we talked about the the season passes and whatnot, that's never worked for me. I've I can't say never because I I bought I think for Battlefront the first one I didn't buy any of the DLC on that one. But I did buy the season pass for Final Fantasy 15, and now I haven't played any of it. And it's like, I'm just, I'm never going to buy DLC again. Because the, the big frustrating thing with it, too, is no matter what they say, 90% of that content is either on disc or already built. By the time they go gold, there's a majority of that content that's already in some kind of finished state. And they always swear up and down that, oh, no, 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 this is additional content. This wasn't ready when the game launched. This wasn't this. Guys, it's it's so painfully obvious. When you have somewhere internally a roadmap already set out of when you're going to launch what, that's not fair. That's not additional content. That feels like you're basically releasing, like everybody always says, you're releasing half of a game and charging full price. I think that argument is game that we, more game specific it's not mm-hmm. every game a lot no. of developers will put that content on the disc because they don't want you to download it you don't want to sit there and this this yeah. was primarily uh, a lot of these arguments were being made like end of ps3 360 mm-hmm. era where where this online the, always right generation and yeah. and where you had the the 
bandwidth was less and yeah. pe- pe- it was t- everything took lo- longer to download mm-hmm. and so people would see they would get they would you know look at the disc and say like oh this content is already on the disc and and from a developer point of view like yeah you're right it is yeah. just because we put it on the disc doesn't mean that you like this is you paid for the game that we're giving you from like point A to point B that mm-hmm. is the game we're selling you and we're going to put we're going to make you know a part C and a part D but we want to sell those later if you want I mean and we're going to put this on the disc now because mm-hmm. it's easier for us to do that now than make a patch and and even when like Sony they're not and 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 both Microsoft they don't do this so much anymore, but they will charge you per patch. So yeah. what, what would happen would be it was cheaper for the developer to put that that stuff on the disc right. rather than pay for another patch. Yeah, because it's got to go through approvals right. and everything. And it's, it, that costs yeah, money. A lot that. of people yeah. are like, oh, well, just patch it. And that stuff costs money. <laughs> yeah. Like, No matter how you look at it, even mm-hmm. if, if Microsoft and Sony are not charging for that anymore, yeah. it still is going to cost money in some, in some way or the other. So other... Another model is the episodic model. So Telltale's been doing it for years, and I think they finally aren't they wrapping up like all together? Isn't Telltale shutting down? No, no, no. So okay. that's another. So we were talking about layoffs, and yeah. this this fall was fall and winter, early winter. It's kind of rough for game developer layoffs. You had uh, like Visceral, you had Telltale, mm-hmm. you had Gazillion, you had. Um, and even before, like when Mass Effect Andromeda, that studio is based out of Montreal, and they downsized okay. quite a bit. Yeah, um, there were a f- couple studios in Seattle. Um, I, I want to say the people who made Torchlight Two, or there was a another game that that studio had made. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that's the way the industry. It's the nature of it, yeah. Is and it's cyclical, and it's yeah. and it's I'm you know like I said, I was at Gazillion for six years, which is a really long time for right. a game developer because mm-hmm. what generally happens at on game teams is you have a small team, you're in pre-production, then you ramp up for production, mm-hmm. you hire a bunch of people, the game releases, you lay a bunch of people off, yeah. and you do it all over again. And that process right. could be anywhere between two and three years or longer, depending yeah. on the game. And this is not for all games, obviously, no. but this is what I've noticed. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And that's exhausting. Yeah. And people... Developers with families, if they're not living mm-hmm. in a big city, it's they have to pick up their family and move. And yes. it's it is. It's I sketchy. don't know how people do it. No, and but I respect them. Yeah, and it's not like a completely alien concept either, because that's the life of a construction worker. I mean, when you're working for a big contractor like any of these ones around town or anywhere, like <laughs> imagine the guys that I was just watching a a documentary thing on like the. The Atlanta Falcons, I think, that just got their oh, new the stadium built. Yeah, uh, the stadium. Yeah. yeah, like that process took years and years to build it. Billion dollar project. All those people, I'm sure, are looking for work right now. Like all those construction workers, that like there was probably a thousand people working on that thing for three or four years, whatever it was. When that's done, it's done. And that that construction company, that that contractor, like, who knows when their next deal is going to come through? I mean, that was his bucket list item right there. Like, that was the big achievement of his career. Like, will they ever do anything like that again? Or are they just going to build a little warehouse here with 10 guys? 
I that's the I mean it's like I said it's not an alien or foreign concept it's right. it's been out there forever yeah. so even the guys that built the pyramid got laid off when that was that's done true. I mean, <laughs> you got all kinds of things like that yeah different scenario there I'm sure but yeah it's it's crazy and it it's just part of the reality of it and yeah like God bless you if you can get into a studio and stay there for any amount of time because yeah like you said you've got that core team of the actual like the creative heart of the game that's your your writers your um real like designer types the the directors the the chief like programmers like the people that are in charge of the the soul of the game well now we need artists and we need like a dozen and this artist is going to work on this specific packet of stuff and you just start chopping everything up along the way well as soon as that little packet of stuff is done what's that guy going to do something else potentially hopefully but if not like yeah sorry like thank you for your services like we'll let you know if we have something else down the road that's literally it and yeah it's there's always going to be tears of that that that's what happens you've got a, a core group that'll stay the rest fingers crossed like and it's not even about performance you could do a bang up job you could be the best at what you did and it's a good referral for the next job and that's it and yeah, it's it's hard and it's really, really hard to plan your life around it. Like you said, to have to pick up and move your whole family just because you finished a project and need to jump to another studio just to stay alive. Like, yeah, that's again, that's where we come back to that blend of figuring out multiple avenues of what to do just in case. And that's yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah, it's a, like like I said, at the end of the day, it's a business and it, yeah. that's that's what it's about. Yeah. But it can be done, and it's just staying positive, keeping the, the right frame of mind, keeping the the inspiration going, like you said, like going to Pig Squad and seeing what's going on and relighting the fire to kind of keep it going. Because when you do kind of end up in your own little pocket reality that, you know, you can lose perspective and, and feel like things aren't going to go your way ever again, that type of thing. And, yeah, just staying in the right channel <laughs> to keep it moving forward but man so future work um you definitely want to keep working in the games industry whenever possible but if not you're able to fall back on just regular software what what do you what man, else can you work on i mean that's a great question um i i got to take december and kind of look at what I really want to do and what mm -hmm. is going to make me happy and good and I don't I don't have an answer and but I, I where's, have where's high school answer. you I, yeah. well, okay so so okay so remember I said um, I was playing Metal Gear and mm -hmm. I was just like bright eyed bushy tail and I was I want to make somebody feel that way yeah. about a game and it doesn't have to be I don't have to make a Metal Gear yeah. to do that necessarily right. right you don't have to be Kojima but and I boy um <laughs> I uh, so I felt like I got that from Marvel Heroes, and mm -hmm. it, that moment came in a different in a different way. It was described yeah. to me differently, and it was um, we had just released, and my friend in Boston called me, and he said I was just playing with my son, and I was running through like Midtown, and. Venom showed up and it was mm -hmm. like this crazy animation and he pops down and he does this like Venom roar 
and I was Captain America and I got to beat up Venom and he's like, my son and I had the best time (laughs) doing that. And then he's like, all of a sudden, Hulk jumped on the screen and like did his Hulk smash and then like Iron Man flew by Mm -hmm. and it was just like, it, it, it was just everything that him and his son like wanted yeah. in a in a Marvel game right. and I'm just like I I I helped that right oh, I got man. that and yeah. and on our forums and everything everybody would you know the internet has its place right. of yeah. uh, <laughs> criticism but for the for a lot of the time we'd get some really good stories like that about like people really enjoying these little moments that awesome. are kind of organic yeah. and that happen on screen and so there was that part of it where I I was just so proud and I was like that's amazing that's exactly what we wanted when we made Marvel Heroes Mm -hmm. and then we started getting a couple messages and one of them really sticks out and it was this this guy contacted me over Twitter and he basically said thank you so much for making this game I had cancer and I was going through chemotherapy, and the thing that kept me going through chemo was I was able to play Marvel Heroes during the process, oh, and like man. whether it be after he like went to chemo or even during, like sometimes they would let him bring the PlayStation in. Yeah, and and he's just like I. It got me through some really dark times, right? and I like teared up. <laughs> I was and gonna say yeah. <laughs> I I was like. Man, and that that will put things in perspective real quick. Where right. you're like, oh, I like I want to make video games. I want to make people feel a certain way, and then I get that response, mm-hmm. and that it's is like, so much greater than I could have imagined. Like I help somebody in the smallest way, even it, right. if it was to like this this person. He he was able to zone out for two hours why he had like a needle in his arm, and he was getting like chemicals pumped right. through his Poison body, pumped into his body, and he yeah. was like, yeah, I was. I was able to play as, you know, like Spider-Man and it just took my mind off. I was like, if I, you know, the the team at Gazillion and I like helped do that and it's, that is, I I am like grateful of that. And, and we had gotten a couple of those messages over the time, like, Hey, this is, this game really helped me through the hard, hard time. And I've been there too. Like there are games where I, I went through like personal stuff mm-hmm. and I just either wanted to like escape from the real world or yep. whatever it is or even good times even good times great, too great game during good times and you get to be yeah like they do they, they they get set in your emotional memory for sure yeah and so th- those experiences really kind of I, I was able to kind of reflect on those and mm-hmm. say like I I got to do that and i'm very fulfilling so i i'm i'm grateful for that yeah and now i don't know what's next necessarily i i what do i want to work in games do i want to work in something tangential to games Mm -hmm. or maybe i just want to learn something new and that's um and do some new tech somewhere and that's a lot of it is i do think i want to learn some new tech regardless of what it is and the other thing that's really important to me is to find a good group of people to work with. Not that they're necessarily the most talented people on the planet, but they're good, genuine yes. people who actually care that's about more your well-being. Honestly. It is so yes. important. <laughs> and that is so important to me. Yeah. So, you know, whatever the next opportunity is, I, I'm going to, you know, filter it through those two big questions. Yeah. Um, 
And so it's a, one of the reasons I moved up to Portland from San Francisco is mm-hmm. quality of life. Yes. there I was becoming increasingly unhappy in ah, San geez. Francisco for a, a bunch of reasons. Yeah. And I didn't see myself long term there. Yeah. Cost of living, mm-hmm. a bunch of different reasons, right? And um, I'm originally from Colorado, so I, I wanted to be near these mountains and these trees right. again. Yeah. And I, like Portland was close, and I'm mm-hmm. like, let's go. I had you know I had a couple friends live up here, and yeah. so um, cool. so it's been it's been great up here. That's so awesome. far. Yeah, and and that's <clears throat> that's something I heard a while ago that I love to stick to is like it's my goal is to make cool shit with cool people. That's that's bottom line. Like no matter what you're doing, as long as you like you said, you're working with good people that honestly care about what they're working on and everybody around them like that that changes everything that's that's the whole dynamic because it's at the end of the day how fulfilled do you feel with what you're doing that's more important than any of the rest of it so yeah and it doesn't always have to be work related too like we were talking about our you know live to work work to live like you you can be at your job for eight nine hours a day and you don't it's not your favorite thing in the world. Maybe right. you don't hate it, but maybe it's just like this is a job, yeah. and then you get to go home to your like to your family, or like uh-huh. I get to go see my dog, or your hobbies, and, or and, yeah. you, and go do your thing at mm-hmm. you know after work, before work, whatever. And that's that's what makes you fulfilled. Yes. Um, and it, you know, like I said, it's all it's all about balance. Mm-hmm. I, that, I want it that is. balance somewhere. It's it's getting that balance because yeah, I I was able to grind through work for 10, 12 hours a day, go home, and yeah, have my hobbies, but it was never enough because. There was too much of this big dark cloud all day to come home and be able to enjoy all of it. You know, my my wife, my dogs, my this, that, and the other thing, games. And it's like, mm. but now the yeah, now that the the tables have been shuffled and everything's different, it does. It's so much more enjoyable. So yeah, it. But good luck finding that balance. That's that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. That is the big again, the the step two of the underpants gnomes plan is. Step one, steal underpants. Step two, step three, profit. I, that's that's life in a nutshell. Like I, I Are love you that metaphor. Life is a gnome. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I, no. The, sure. The let's goal do it. in life is to make profit, but spiritual, monetary, whatever kind of profit. But coming up with the plan is the easy part. Like what you want to do, but that middle space again. That's <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. coming back to that. So, yeah. man. But very good to talk to you. This is exactly what I had anticipated is just the the real world street level experience of what it's actually like and not just the the fantasy of it all, because there is, like I said earlier, a a cold, hard reality to it. But it's not something that's completely insufferable. It's not the biggest disaster or worst thing ever. It's life. I mean, and it's reflected in everything else that goes on around us. It's. It's not anything too crazy, but it's not always sunshine and rainbows. Like, so it is. It's just it's having having a healthy perspective, outlook, expectation on all these things, and just hopefully having kind of a, a long term, short term vision of what you want to do, what you want to achieve, and making sure that's actually healthy. That yeah, you don't have to set out to be the next Hideo Kojima and make the next Metal Gear, but having that kind of inspiration to affect people's lives in some way and do something positive and got to have the payoff already in your career like it's amazing so yeah it's definitely it can be done and it can be enjoyed as hard as it may be sometimes but dude stick to your guns and find good people to make fun stuff with and make it happen yep 
Very good. Well, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Yep, have you again soon sometime. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get up to date on whatever you end up working on. But Perfect. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank you.